On this episode of Leadership Lessons in Health System Pharmacy, you will hear from Kevin McDonald, CEO and co-founder of KitCheck, as we discuss the pandemic's impact on pharmacy and the role of pharmacy leaders. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Leadership Lessons in Health System Pharmacy. I'm your host, Dr. Robert Weber, Chief Pharmacy Officer and Administrator of Pharmacy Services at The Ohio State University Wexner Medical Center. Powered by The Ohio State University Lashley Leadership Program, this show is designed to keep current and aspiring health system pharmacy leaders up to date with issues, trends, and best practices affecting our profession. You can learn more about the Lashley Leadership Program and The Ohio State University's College of Pharmacy MS in Health System Pharmacy Administration and Leadership by visiting go.osu.edu forward slash pharmacy leadership. That's go.osu.edu forward slash pharmacy leadership. In addition to his current role, Kevin has worked across global supply chains in aerospace, retail, and pharmaceuticals using Internet of Things, or IoT, RFID, and cloud software technology for more than 20 years. He is named as an inventor on six patents related to IoT usage in healthcare. KitCheck represents the fastest known growth rate for pharmacy technology adoption, and its AI solution is recognized by leading analyst firm KLAS Research as category leader in drug diversion monitoring. Okay, let's jump into our interview with Kevin. Kevin, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here today, Kevin. Thanks for having me. Um, you know, I, I was really excited to, to have you as a guest. I, I ran across your article in Forbes. I understand you're on the Forbes Technology Council. Is that is that correct as well? I am. I've been on for a couple of years now and been uh, writing primarily on things related to hospital pharmacy, Internet of Things, and technology related to so I, I saw this article and I was like, wow, I, I've got to talk to this guy. So I really appreciate you uh, coming on. Maybe for the listeners, maybe you can you can fill us in on your interesting career path. I mean, there's lots of things that you've done. I've read about you. And I, I think it would be really uh, exciting and neat for the audience to understand sort of how you've gotten to this point in terms of your career. Sure. If you had asked me how I was going to get uh, to a place like this today, 20 years ago, I would have <laughs> would have never guessed we're here. But uh, just to kind of give a little bit of background, uh, although I work with pharmacists every day, I you know didn't necessarily go into pharmacy at all. In fact, I'm not a pharmacist, but uh, started my career in technology, working for a company called Sun Microsystems. And back in the early days of RFID, my job was to look at new technologies and help apply those to different uh, industries, whether it be banking or consumer packaged goods or pharma products. And back in 2002, 2003, actually, there was an interesting dynamic that was happening. RFID was pretty new and the stuff didn't work very well and was very expensive. But we knew that there was great promise in being able to track things in a way that you didn't have to see things or you could read multiple things at once. And what happened was there were two industries in particular that kind of lit up. One was pharma with the FDA looking at trying to combat 
uh, counterfeit drugs through pedigree at the time. Mm -hmm. And the second was Walmart trying to get better efficiency to their stores. And back in about 2003, 2004, what ended up happening is both created mandates and both mandates failed. And what was interesting is if you look at it, both failed for the same reason, right? So they were uh, forcing cost on the manufacturer and not creating enough downstream value to actually justify that cost. So uh, sure enough, healthcare took a little longer to come back around, but uh, it is what it is. So fast forward to uh, 2005, I ended up joining a company that worked on RFID and literally everything. So if you go to uh, a Vail Resort, the Vail Resort will have a, a car that you get as a lift pass and that card has RFID in it and tracks you up and down the mountain. And that was mm-hmm. what I did. If you fly on an Airbus aircraft, the safety equipment, uh, something that I worked on. So saw sort of patterns across industries. So you then kind of fast forward to 2007, 2008, and the healthcare industry had continued to sort of go down this path of having pedigree. Florida and California were sort of leading the way, but um, the overall industry was trying to keep RFID out of it and keep it sort of a limited degree of track and trace. Yeah, yeah. What we saw on the... um, CPG side, though, on the retail side was something completely different, which I think is important and instructive, which is if you go to like a Nordstrom and you're looking for shoes, when you sit down and you say, hey, I want that shoe and the person goes and says, get me a size 12 of that shoe. If if you didn't see that shoe there on the display, from your perspective, the 15 pairs that are in the background, they don't exist. Right. So we were creating value for that manufacturer to tag each individual pair of shoes rather than a whole case or pallet of shoes. And we found in retail, actually, that you could sell 30 or 40 percent more shoes if you just made sure that they were always on sale. And same thing applies to jeans and a whole bunch of other areas. Um, We when I started KitCheck, which was fast forward to 2010, after sitting and having dinner with a friend of my wife, who's a pharmacist at a hospital, and she was describing crash cart duty. Yes. Like, wow, here's an instance where there's real value to having that tracking, right? Like, I, do, I know that hand counting medications and looking at expiration dates is a colossal waste of time, very error prone, and you have highly educated people. Why do that manual process? So it was that that really started the kit check idea. But the broader idea is this concept I call medication intelligence, where if we can just understand where everything is in the drug supply chain from the point it starts all the way to the patient, we can solve all sorts of issues around shortages. Do we have the right product? Are we transforming it in the right way, getting it to the patient in the the fastest way and saving money along the way? So um, that's the the sort of dime store version, but uh, happy into more. Well, that is really that is really cool. I, I I will tell you that the other issue around the crash cart meds, as somebody who was trained as a critical care pharmacist early on, is that if you're on a code and they say we need X, and you open up and you've got the top drawer and there's no epinephrine because somebody missed it, or you know in filling, then you've got a problem. So there's the you know there's that sort of direct patient care impact as well as obviously the expiration dating and, you know, the joint commission has always been very, one of the things that 
hospitals get ding dong, as you know, is you know crash cart drugs that you know expiring, and so it's just a it's just a great example of how you took an idea and really based on a conversation and you know really kind of made it work to really benefit our patients, and I think we all appreciate that uh, as well. Right, and really, the, there's sort of two things that are interesting there. So you pointed out the the safety aspect of it. Yeah. What I didn't appreciate when I first started was kind of how bad the situation was. We knew that Joint Commission came around. Right. But what we found is that 20% of those trays, whether they be OR trays or whether they be crash carts, right. have incorrect and expired drugs in them. And I'll never forget, uh, I was at a, a fairly famous hospital and uh, the very first cart we opened, there was a drug that had expired 13 years prior. Ooh. And what we also generally found over the years is that uh, those that think they are the safest and they have a bulletproof process are the ones that typically have the most errors. Yeah. In fact, I remember the one system where the they had held up a specific hospital as their beacon of safety and 72% of that hospital's trays had, were incorrect. Oh my goodness. So, but again, the, the important thing there was to, you know, create a solution for this, but then look broader at how else can we look at, if we get visibility to medications, can we solve basically three problems? How do we reduce the cost of medications, in this case, through expiration waste? Right. How do we increase efficiency? So make sure that a pharmacist is actually spending their time on clinical things rather than clerical things. And then third, how do we make sure we're safe, safer and more compliant? Yeah, and, and just uh, so that you know, and we, and we obviously talk, talked about this before the interview, is that this is a, this is a leadership podcast. And, and, and our graduates and our alumni need to, need to hear this from Kevin and that, you know, those are some of the tenets of what we as leaders need to make sure happen within our organization. And I think when leaders get complacent, Kevin, and when they, when they think they're sort of at the top of the heap, that's when, that's when things go awry. And I mean, I would agree absolutely that some of the most prestigious hospitals in the country uh, do have problems with safety, primarily, I think, because of sort of the leadership complacency at times, you know, and I think that technology like yours really can help us to, to really take the human factor out of it, right? And, 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 and really leave it to technology to be able to make sure that things are done accurately. So, um, so yeah, that's a really interesting journey. So, so what is your training? What's your degree? What is your like training and education that sort of got you interested in this or, or gave you some of the skills to do this? Sure. Uh, my background is I'm a computer science major and went to Villanova University and uh, really know the sort of computer side of it. And uh, then from a training perspective, I ended up getting a lot of supply chain training along the way. Um, I, I originally got into RFID uh, while I was in Boston and spent some time with the MIT Auto ID Lab. And they were the ones that really helped invent the technology, the underpinnings of the technology that we use today. I see. And uh, it was in collaboration with them that, you know, sort of started to get going and then started to work with the, the largest supply chains in the world and saw, you know, some very sophisticated and some very rudimentary supply chains and 
I have to say, I'm always impressed when I go into a hospital at how complicated the supply chain within four walls is. Yes. And uh, how rudimentary the tools are. Yes, exactly. You've really, and I, I can tell you that, and I always tell our residents this, the most common question I get is, what is the value of the inventory? What are the inventory turns? Um, you know, how do we make sure we control the inventory so we don't, I mean, that is a, that is probably the most common question. I know it's the most common question I've gotten from the board of trustees at Ohio state. And the most common question I get from our CFO is, you know, what's going on with the inventory. We've got $25 million, Kevin, $25 million all across our health system. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of money. That's it's the university's highest asset. And for us to not have the specific sophisticated tools, as you suggest, I mean, really is an opportunity for leadership. Again, this is a, you know, not to go back to this, but this is really incumbent on us as leaders to work with companies such as yours, like KitCheck, which is really a leader in this whole uh, space to, you know, to really understand how can we use technology to help make sure the supply chain, you know, has its integrity. And it kind of brings me to the article that you wrote. And what was the motivation for writing the article in Forbes? Well, so I'm a, uh, well, I hesitate to say regular contributor, but I, during the, the pandemic, there's been so many added pressures on top of what hospitals are already facing that I thought it was a good time to reflect on what are the challenges inside the hospital? Um, take a look at some of the challenges that we have. How do they how are they exacerbated by what's going on with uh, the pandemic? And then how can we start to take uh, modern approaches to, to, to solve some of these things? I mean, we saw in our customer base just an extreme scramble when the pandemic first hit and using some basic techniques around uh, how do I manage inventory separately using either our tools or others? Um, and now as we see the vaccines come out, you know, how do we make sure that we are prepared as leaders ahead of things rather than sort of always be in this reactive mode of like, oh shoot, there's this, this new thing that came, how do I react to it and kind of ad hoc it, try to plan ahead. Yeah, and, and, I, and I, just for the listeners, this was published in uh, Forbes and it was published in uh, October of, 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 of 2020. And uh, the, article's title is the pandemic's impact on pharmacy and it really piqued my interest and what kevin talks about is our role as pharmacists the impact of sort of the common challenges faced by pharma adjusting to the new normal within healthcare, and and that's where you discuss a lot of technology and really its application and so in terms of the role of the pharmacist you have a really interesting you know take on it which is it's, it's different than most which is that the pharmacists really do need to be focusing on a more holistic approach to patient care and the pandemic has really sort of brought that out and um and then obviously you know trying to do that as well as to deal with some of the things that we deal with every day like drug shortages diversions and recalls and so how do you see the role just to, to expand on that a little bit how how do you see the role of the pharmacist changing in the next you know three to five years wow that's a that's a big loaded question <laughs> sorry this is kind of an organic conversation as you know yeah the um it's it's a very large question but i yeah exactly well so here's the thing what what i think we need to do is 
there's always been this drive for the pharmacist to practice at the top of license. And I think that is, that is the noble goal, um, is how do we spend as much time as possible on that practice? But all that being said, we can only do that practice if we are efficient in our other means. So to the extent that we can first get visibility to what's going on and then put systems and processes in place that allow the sort of getting stuff to the patient in an efficient manner to happen, um, that's what's going to free up time and free up dollars for us to spend more pharmacist time on clinical work. I, you know, Every hospital that I look at, you know, you had mentioned the $25 million of inventory in turn. So there's there's some basic concepts, right? Like, do I have visibility to all that inventory? What's it being used for? What's it not being used for? We've recently started doing um, analysis on purchasing. And we've yet to walk into a hospital where you can't off the bat um, shave off 2 or 3% of the, the hard dollar spend. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when... OPEX, your largest OPEX other than people is drug spend, you know, you want to take a look at that. So how do I, you know, kind of look at that process end to end of clinical work and then of the sort of supply chain aspect, what am I purchasing, how am I distributing it, and what are the processes around it? Um, you know, I almost see in some ways a, a, a sort of separation of duties between the like, professionalization of what I'll call purchasing supply chain, that kind of stuff versus the clinical pieces. And, you know, that's happened to some degree, but there's always a little bit of a, a mixed middle and I don't think it'll ever be perfectly clean, but I think that there can potentially be more professionalization of the supply chain side, which hopefully will allow the clinical side to actually have more time uh, to do what, what, you know, you all went to pharmacy school for. Yeah, I know. No, I agree. And by the way, you answered that question perfectly. So <laughs> you've got a good sense of uh, an excellent sense of of sort of what our role is and how we need to continue to grow our clinical role. But but really, I mean, focusing on making sure that we understand the integrity of our supply chain within our hospitals. You know, many hospital pharmacy departments, the managing of the drug expense and the drug inventory falls within the pharmacy, but there's other hospitals where it falls outside the pharmacy. And, you know, those models both work. Um, from your perspective and seeing a lot of hospitals, what, what sort of training would people, what sort of additional training would people need to, to be pharmacists need to be a little more adept at managing the supply chain? You know, I think just some basic, um, uh you know, supply chain 101, right? Like you have inventory terms and what's the value of the inventory and things like that. I think getting some of those concepts down are important. And I know that there are some pharmacy schools that are now starting to to take a look at that. I think there's an understanding of what are the systems that you could put in place, right? I think a lot of folks don't even realize what's, what's open to them and they get kind of lost in this world of there's too many things out there. So being able to categorize what's out there and what can be there. And then also, I think there's just sort of systems thinking around. To me, when I think about the problem, I think about, all right, step one, I need visibility because I can't I can't manage what I can't measure, but I can't measure what I can't see, right? So I need to first get visibility and then figure out where are there 
tools, processes, people to apply to that. And by the way, technology isn't always the answer, but where are the gaps and what is the best way to sort of make sure we first have visibility and then secondarily have control over that and then I can manage from from there. Yeah, and that, that's that's interesting. What what I think and when I think about inventory and within a hospital is once it gets out to the nursing units in a automated dispensing cabinet, I feel like the control is is gone in many ways, unless it's a narcotic, obviously, and we right. track every, every dose of those. But I mean, we've talked we're talking the matrix drawer concept, which you know, you really don't know where the inventory is and where it goes. And I think that's definitely a conundrum uh, for us. And so what what you talk about, talked about in the article is RFID with cloud-based solutions. So you're talking to somebody who doesn't have a great uh, computer background and understand, what does that exactly mean, RFD with, RFID with a cloud-based, um, cloud-based app? cloud-based solutions. Yeah, sure. So RFID, just for those who aren't familiar, is radio frequency identification. So if you think about like an easy pass or a quick pay at a, like a gas station, that's an RFID technology. And there's kind of two important points to the technology. One is being able to sort of read it in a mode that, you know, it, it requires less overhead perhaps than a barcode. And by the way, sometimes a barcode can do exactly the same thing and we'll get to that point in a second but we want to be able to see this item uh with as little overhead as possible and then sort of secondarily um you want to know that it's that individual item so each tag so like uh sandoz has pre-tagged vials right so each vial is individually identified and each file that goes into a kit check kit is individually identified so i know if someone brought a drug from or1 to or2 which you know if that's happening a lot i know that's a problem this concept of serialization allows us to get a better handle of what's actually going on because of stuff migrating around and is stuff moving so that's the kind of rfid and serialization piece the second which is cloud technology um you know, we spend most of our days outside the hospital on Google, on uh, various, you know, social and non-social sites. And what the cloud really has done is allowed us to go from the point of having to be IT. We all have our own fun with hospital IT, but like leave that burden of managing updates and new versions and new features to the people that are the experts, right? So let uh, a company who has dozens of engineers and DevOps people and other folks manage that infrastructure for you because you're gonna get the updates, you're gonna have information in a more secure way. And if it's cloud enabled as well, we can start to connect across, right? So in our diversion software, Blue Site for Controlled Substances, um, you can, we can, by looking at all of the sites that are on there, we can start to run additional analytics to understand, are there patterns of diversion that we hadn't picked up, which by having all that data sort of in one place, we can further progress the tool more than you ever would. Or for example, on Kitchak side, where there's a shortage, what we've generally found is that, uh, 
one hospital will report a shortage and then the second one clear across the country will report a shortage. We'll know that there's a shortage or in some cases a recall before anyone else does just because crowdsourcing that across, right? So by having it all in the cloud, everyone benefits and everyone has the most up-to-date information and the most secure information. Oh, that's great. That's, oh, okay. Well, thank you for clarifying that. I, I could see where that would be a great value to a lot of health system pharmacists. You know, one of the things that I've always thought of, Kevin, is if we had a more predictive model for looking at narcotic diversion. So, for example, uh, using artificial intelligence and using kind of our data to make our surveillance models a little more predictive. Uh, is that something that you think is doable? Oh, it's not only doable, it's something we're already doing. Okay. It's uh, taking a look at all kinds of, we're using AI and machine learning to, to do just that. It, it's actually interesting. We look at uh, dozens and dozens of different vectors of things. And, you know, you traditionally think about like, hey, is nurse A dispensing more fentanyl or something yes, like that. Yes. But it's actually where you're starting to see problems are more in the unusual situations like, does nurse A take longer to get from the automated dispense cabinet to this particular room than nurse B. And has nurse A's time to do that increased over time, right? So it's these like second and third level things that you can only get to with um, sort of AI and machine learning that will help you identify that stuff earlier. And what we've, we've generally found is versus using uh, sort of traditional methods we can typically identify that someone is starting to divert about six to 12 months ahead of when a hospital might not yeah. find that. Yeah. And it's interesting when you look, I've done a lot of, of, of these types of investigations. And when you look at the, the trajectory, Kevin, over time, it becomes an escalating behavior that only within that escalation period is it detectable. And right. I think I guess what you're saying is that the detection could be much more sensitive to be de- to be detected much earlier before that escalation occurs. Because when the escalation occurs, then you've got obviously substantial harm to the person as well as patients and others. So right. that, that is really that is really interesting. Um, we we actually were proposing a study here to to, to look at some uh, elements of sort of uh, not only system issues but also people issues as it relates you know, to narcotic diversion. For example, we found that uh, a high proportion of, of folks that may be involved in the activity lived a, lived a very long way away from the hospital. And, and so we've sort of postulated that um, people would kind of move around and within their local, you know, areas, they, they would either have an issue and have to seek employment well outside of their, you know, geographic area where they live. So, so that, those were the kind of things we were seeing as well. But I think the fact that you guys are focusing on this as part of your technology now, I think is a, really a value to us as health system pharmacists. I, I, you know, I think, and again, you know, as part of the pandemic, and I, I was reading something the other day that showed that substance abuse among all types, healthcare workers, regular people is really going up yeah. you know, during the pandemic because of the isolation and, you know, everything else. So I think your systems at KitCheck are even more important to us now than ever. So, yeah, it's it's unfortunately we see it going up, and um, yeah, we're, we're we're glad we can play a little part of it um, 
from a data perspective, it, it is it is fascinating looking at all the different patterns and your your point about people moving from hospital to hospital. I mean, there's even just trends moving within a hospital or within a system, um, and you know how people are wasting with each other. The, the the number of different things that people do is is quite quite remarkable. It is, and there's a lot of you know a lot of things we don't know. And every time you know you know every time organizations have an issue. It's like, oh my gosh, I didn't think, you know, somebody could divert medication like that. One thing that I found in general that clinicians and not just pharmacists, MDs uh, seem to have the same issue as well, is wrapping their minds around looking for patterns that haven't been pre-identified. And what I mean by that is it's very natural, you know, because you go through clinical studies and things like that to say, hey, look, this last person diverted you know, using this method. So let's go and forever more, we're going to look for that pattern. And one thing that AI and machine learning will let you do is look generally to say what that I'm not thinking about is unusual comparative to everything else. And like, look, it may be a problem. It may not be a problem, but it's helping you think about some of those things that you would have never thought of. Exactly. And you can go and take a look and see, you know, is that potentially an early signal of something? Exactly. Um, what other things are you guys working on? So the latest thing we've been working on is really helping hospitals at the front end of their supply chain, which is purchase optimization. And I touched on it a little bit earlier, but um, the idea is I oftentimes am not buying as efficiently as I could on a number of ways. So Right. Not every hospital even maintains a preferred list of drugs, but even those that do oftentimes aren't following their preferred list or the preferred list is out of date because it's it takes time to go through and you know do the spreadsheet calculation of based on how much 340B WAC and GPO spend would pushing to another NDC make sense and doesn't make sense within this clinical world. Well, what we're able to do is look at all all of the NDCs that your wholesaler has and put that in the context of your GPO and wholesaler contracts and make sure that you are both compliant, but also as efficient with the spend as possible. Mm -hmm. And then also are there things like have all the accounts been updated the right way or are you getting overcharged or is a, is a buyer accidentally buying uh, something that they shouldn't be? And in general, what we've found is you can save uh, a couple percent right off the top. We, we've had people on a first 20 minute phone call save uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars on drug by just, you know, running the, the data through. So um, we're trying to get that sort of end to end visibility. And I would say between the three products, we have that. And now we want to provide more services that further help you. Again, lower your drug spend, increase efficiency, and increase safety and compliance. Where do you see the future of your company going? Yeah, I think that uh, the future is bright. We've been growing really uh, quickly, but we want to further help the hospital pharmacy mm -hmm. uh, have a great experience and an efficient experience. I feel like everyone in pharmacy has been sort of they're the, the sort of low man on the totem pole for getting stuff that's efficient and good. You know, I, one of the things I always kind of joke about is 
you walk into a hospital pharmacy and everything is beige and we're the like one 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 point of color in there and we take this to like everything that we do whether it's the user interface we really want you to have a positive experience so what we're trying to do is figure out are there other areas that we can just make your life easier yeah and make it more straightforward within the four walls whether that be workflow or helping connect you to your suppliers whether they be the wholesalers or the manufacturers with things like drugs that come pre-tagged or whether they be um you know 503b drugs or things that are more appropriate you know maybe it's time for you to switch from a vial to a syringe right. and helping get everyone on the same page of what do we really need to provide patient care and how can we do that sort of as cheaply and efficiently as possible yeah well what would you need from the pharmacy leaders on this podcast uh, that are listening to help you guys achieve your goals well uh first of all uh we would love to talk to you all about uh what we can do to help you within your four walls at kit check whether that be with crash carts and lr meds with drug diversion or with help and save you on your purchasing side. And then really just helping push the, the industry forward and moving us towards a more modern way of managing our internal supply chain. Again, we call it medication intelligence, this concept of if we can get visibility to every drug, starting at the manufacturer and through the patient, we can use that visibility to then help solve the problems and make all of our lives better. That's a, those are really great comments. And kind of on a personal note, what are some of the things that you're reading or listening to that's been inspiring you these days, Kevin? Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I always enjoy looking at Harvard Business Review and what they have. They're, they've got, you know, almost every, every single time a, a new HBR comes along, there, there's at least a few things. Um, one of the things that I've, I've always found really interesting and I think it's relevant to this group is there's a book called The Logic of Failure, and it goes through sort of human deficiencies and sort of why things go wrong. And they go through a bunch of different exercises, whether it be the, the Challenger disaster or sort of an experiment with people in thermostats. And when you look at why people, you know, do things that end up going really wrong, kind of what happens to it. And I, I think that that is an interesting analogy to bunch of the stuff that's happening uh supply chain and how we can avoid things so that, that that's a that's a fairly quick read oh great great i've really enjoyed talking to you today and i i am 100 positive that our uh listeners our residents and our alumni are going to really enjoy this conversation enjoy uh listening to you and hearing about the things not only that you're doing at kit check but your philosophy is as it relates to the pharmacy supply chain. So Kevin McDonald, CEO of KitCheck, thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks for having me today. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Leadership Lessons in Health System Pharmacy. And if you found this interview helpful to your own professional development, please do us a favor and share the good news with your colleagues and leave us with a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts each and every week.